a caveat or an explanation. We didn't have Wednesday night service last week, and people go, you, didn't, you missed Wednesday night. Well, besides the fact that I wasn't feeling well, we had Christmas Eve, we had a pipe break in her mother's room restroom there. And so it, it, it filled the, the mother's room, the bathroom, then it went downstairs, filled the nursery in the corner, destroyed all the, the ceiling tiles in there, went underneath the wall and then into the pre-K, down into there. I'm thinking, okay, I don't feel good. The church is a mess. We just got through Christmas. We're not having a Wednesday night. So, but we got all things cleaned up. And so we will, we will meet next Wednesday and, and uh, this coming Wednesday. But we're going to look at a special study this morning because it is New Year's. Uh, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Luke and we're going to look at Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah chapter four. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 23. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Nehemiah chapter four, verse 10 through 23. Part of my message this morning is moving forward in 2023. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. We thank you for this new year and, and great anticipation of the things that you have for us individually, things that you have for us as a church, as a whole. We thank you for the work that you've done this past year in our lives, Lord, and drawing us closer to you and the work you continue to do. And I do pray, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, that you would give us understanding application in our lives, Lord. We pray that if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would especially speak to their hearts, help them to see their need for you, that they might come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. So bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, as we come to the new year, many of us have made some New Year's resolutions. It's been said that a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me say, if you're going to make some resolutions in your life, the New Year is certainly the time to do it, to make, make those changes. I found a few more New Year's resolutions on the Internet that were very interesting. New Year's resolution. To catch up on all my resolutions from 2020, 2021, and 2022. New Year's resolution. Make a handful of people believe I'm normal before blindsiding them with my actual personality. New Year's resolution. I will do less laundry and use more deodorant. New Year's resolution. I will never again take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. That's a good New Year's resolution, I would say. One person said, my cat's New Year's resolution is to continue staring at nothing. That 30% of all New Year's resolutions are broken within the first week. Maybe, that, that, maybe that's why Larry the Cable Guy tweeted this uh, yesterday. I'm going to open a business called January Gym. It'll be open from January 1st and closed down February 10th. You pay $50 to join, and then on February 11th, instead of lying about your resolution, you just tell people your gym closed down. Everybody wins. I like that. Actually, instead of making resolutions that are quickly broken, maybe we ought to think about just making that simple recommitment of our life to Jesus Christ and to His work and to His Word. 
Now, you know, every year, if you've been a part of our church for a while, that, that I like to have a verse for the year, something that we have in the bulletin all year long that we can look back on that, that God gives to us. And, and we know that last year that we had uh, John fifteen sixteen, which says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And God has blessed us this last year with much fruit. I mean, looking back over the year, God has done some great and new things, exciting things in our church. We're going to hear at the end of January if we receive this grant towards the, the, the building of our new facility there on North National Avenue. And if all goes well, if everything falls into place as the Lord seems to be doing it, we will actually break ground February 1st on the new sanctuary. That's exciting to me to see what God's doing. And let me say, not too soon, because we've been growing numerically. We've been growing spiritually. For many of us, we've made some good changes in our lives. We got some uh, new friends. We, we made new friends. We've seen people come to faith in Christ and God working and doing amazing things in our lives. Many of us were more committed in 2022 to reading God's word in prayer, fellowship, sharing our faith. Yet it is my belief that God wants to do so much more in our lives personally and us as a congregation, as a church. So this year, our verse for the year is taken from our text this morning, Nehemiah 4, verse 14. And it says this, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And I do believe that God wants us to take a stand uh, like never before when it comes to the Word of God and holding fast to what God's Word says. To stand up against the onslaught of unrighteousness and immorality that we see is rampant in our country today. And to not compromise our walks with the Lord just because their voices may be louder. Now with that in mind, I also believe in this coming year that God wants us to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ than ever before. Time is short. And for those of you that that know your Bibles, you know that Jesus could return at any moment. So it's no time to quit. Now, perhaps 2022 hasn't been all that you expected it to be. You might say, Pastor, it's been horrible, 2022. Really, really tough. And maybe you're discouraged about some of the things that have happened in your life in the past year. Maybe some failures that have taken place in, in your life. Have you ever felt that way? I think sometimes we allow those mistakes, those setbacks, those failures to enslave us to the point where we really truly cannot enjoy the full Christian life that God has intended us to have. Even though Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I'm come that you might have life and that more abundantly. And that's why Jesus went on to tell us that we have an adversary called the devil that seeks to kill, to rob, and to destroy that life that you have. And the devil will often remind us of our past in order to keep us from enjoying the life that God has given to us. One pastor said, when the devil reminds me of my past, I remind him of his future. But listen, the devil doesn't want you to live that abundant Christian life. The devil wants you to be hung up in your past and quit moving forward. Let me tell you, that's not God's plan for your life. In fact, God is far more interested in your future than he is with your past because that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life. 
But maybe you found yourself at at the end of the year, maybe discouraged because uh, the more you sought to do for Christ, the less it seemed to come about. Well, let me tell you, the same thing was happening for the people of God during Nehemiah's time. Let me, in fact, let me give you a quick overview of what was going on. Because of Israel's sin and unfaithfulness to God and following after idols and, and following the ways of the pagans, in 587 BC, God allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed and the nation to be taken into captivity. While 142 years later, Jerusalem still lied in ruins, the people were, were free to return, but the protective walls of the city were still torn down. Now, Nehemiah, he was the cupbearer, he was the, the taste tester for King Artaxerxes, the powerful king of Persia. When Nehemiah heard that the walls in Jerusalem were still broken down uh, and, and, and burned, he wept. He mourned for Jerusalem. Something happened inside of him. He knew something had to be done. He knew that it was not God's uh, ultimate plan that Jerusalem lie in ruins. So he got permission from King Artaxerxes to rebuild the walls of the devastated city. And it was no small task. Nehemiah could have not done it by himself, and he didn't attempt to. He rallied the people from all walks of life and led them to accomplishing something great. In fact, the Bible tells us that he gathered together goldsmiths, perfume makers, rulers, priests, merchants, I believe ages, of all ages, both male and female, doing their part in the work, working together towards a common goal. The wall was then divided into sections and everyone took responsibility to fix their section, their torn down part of the wall. Now, there were obstacles and opposition along the way. Two guys in particular with the names of Sambalat and Tobiah. And yet we're told that the people stayed to the task Despite the outside attacks, they resisted them. And they grew even stronger because of it. We're told that the people came together because they had a mind to work, a heart to pray, and an eye to watch. And so for the time being, the enemy was held back. And in verse 6 here of chapter 4, it says, The entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They were committed to the task. But now they reached the halfway point. The job was half finished. Now we know that when you hit the halfway point in any work of God or in any Christian experience, it's the hardest place of all, even in regular life. You know, I think I might have shared this last year. I don't know. I, we, my cousin won this three-wheel bike from the prices Right many years ago. They don't make them anymore. And I uh, <clears throat> loved it. We, we rode it till, it till it broke, fixed it up again, rode it again till it broke. Finally got it back to, that, to my house, and uh, it's still in my garage. And I think it's this year I'm going to fix it. Still hanging in my garage. I did. I, I did put a box over the fork because I bent down to get something and I smacked my head with the fork. But I think, okay, I'm going to cover this up now. I don't even want to see it now because I'm at the halfway point. You know, it's all stripped down. And I think even in our walks as a Christian, we, it's, it's the hardest place of all. And that's where we come to here in verse 10 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at verse 10. It says, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. And there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Let me say the halfway point can often be the most discouraging part. Are you halfway, uh, the halfway point in your walk with God? How about in parenting your children? Or in your work, or in church, or in your marriage? Why is it so hard to push through that halfway point? Well, here we see the reason. It's that people got distracted. They started looking at all the rubbish they were looking at what still needed to be done instead of what's already been done. 
Maybe that's where your house is this morning. You look at all the Christmas wrapping papers over on one side, the tree that's half taken down, and the lights are happening, and uh, I, got, I got so much more to do. But there's more. Look at verse 11 and 12. The people said, And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. I mean, imagine this scene. you got the Ammonites, you got the Ashdodites, the Tobias, Sembalat, and the boys were cursing them, wanting to see them all dead. Then you got the Jews who are living outside of Jerusalem who are saying ten times, you guys better give up, just come back to us, forget this whole wall thing, it's not going to work. They saw the mounds of rubbish and how much work they still had to do, and they were ready to give up. You ever feel that way? Tired of all the attacks of the enemy, feeling all alone, frustrated, ready to give up, ready to call it quits? Well, let me tell you, Nehemiah's got some encouraging words for you this morning. Five of them, if you're taking notes, five steps for moving forward in 2023. Step number one, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Look at verse 13 and 14. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower part of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Right off the bat, Nehemiah says, Here's what you need to do. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Remember. I don't know about you, but the older I get, my memory isn't what it used to be. It's like the two older couples who are enjoying some friendly conversation when one of the men asked the other, Fred, how was that memory clinic you went to last night? How'd it go? Outstanding, Fred replied. They taught us all the latest psychological techniques such as visualization, association, and so on. It was great. I haven't had a problem since. Sounds like something I could use. What was the name of the clinic? Fred went blank. He thought and he thought but couldn't remember. Then a smile broke across his face and asked, what do you call that flower with a long stem on it and the thorns? You mean a rose? Yeah, that's it. And he turned to his wife. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that clinic? <laughs> Listen, if you want to keep moving forward, then do with what Nehemiah told his guys. Remember the Lord great and awesome. Remember, what does that mean? Well, first you begin by calling to mind the things that the Lord has already said to you in His Word. Remember what His Word says. Remember that His Word says that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Remember that the Lord is on our side. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. Remember the Lord is helpful. Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Remember who the Lord is. Remember his character. Remember his promises. Remember his love towards you. And then memorize his word. Have something to fight back with. Hide God's word in your heart. Because you know what discouraged people think about most? Themselves. No wonder discouraged people love psychology. It's a field devoted to their three favorite people, me, myself, and I. Nehemiah tells them to get their focus off of themselves and then encourages them to get back into the battle. Our verse for the year, verse 14, 
Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Nehemiah took charge. He commanded them to get their eyes off of themselves, off of the rubbish, and put them back where they need to be, back on the Lord. I think of Peter, you know, good old Peter, you know, he sees Jesus walking on the water and says, if that is you, bid me to come. And out Peter says, come on, and Peter jumps out of the boat and he's doing good as long as he keeps his eye on the Lord. And then he turns and he looks at the waves and down he goes, boop, boop, there he goes. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Remember the Lord. This leads to our second step in moving forward in 2023. Number two, get back to work. Get back to work. Look at verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. They returned to the work. They didn't give up. Do you know that after innumerable failed attempts to create a light bulb, Thomas Edison was asked, how come he didn't give up after 10,000 failures, to which he replied, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that it won't work. And then Thomas Edison said this, quote, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Albert Einstein, physicist and developer of the theory of relativity, said this, It's not that I'm so smart, it's just that I stay with problems longer. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, sometimes we can get down. We, 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 when we get down, we tend to stay down. And we quit or we slow down. That can be the worst thing that can happen for you in your walk with the Lord. Because if we're not moving forward in our walk with the Lord, then we're moving backwards. That's why God's Word encourages us to keep going. Galatians 6.9 in the New Living Translation. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Paul tells us in Romans 12.11, again, New Living Translation, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. This brings us to our third step in moving forward for 2023. Be ready for a fight. Nehemiah says that. Be ready for a fight. Look at verse 16 and 17. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked in construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand held a weapon. Now, we know that the battle we are, are a, a part of is a spiritual battle. Paul makes it clear in, in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And let me tell you this, when you decide to speak out for Christ and to step out for Christ and really live for Him or to step out in the ministry here at the church, the enemy isn't going to quietly sit by and encourage you. He's going to do whatever he can to discourage you. And we all know he's like a roaring, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why Paul goes on to tell us in Ephesians that we're to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil of the day and having done all to stand. And then we, we fight. And remember our verse, verse 14. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Listen, the enemy wants to destroy our families, our marriages, our relationships. We are involved, especially as men, as, as dads, 
in a spiritual battle for our families. The LGBTQ movement represents a clear and present danger to the culture, to the church, to families, and to eternal salvation and millions because of its active rebellion against God's design for gender, for marriage, for family, for purpose of sexual relations. The focus of the LGBTQ movement is nothing less than the utter destruction of the God-ordained distinct design of men and women, the corruption of the sanctity of marriage, and the obliteration of God's design of a family consisting of one man and one woman joined together to have and raise godly children. It seeks to normalize sexual immorality. In short, it seeks to normalize and celebrate sin. Now, please understand, I'm not condemning those caught in that sin. Sin is sin and we're all sinners. And those dealing with LGBTQ temptations are no worse than anybody else dealing with pornography or greed or rage or drugs or lies or any other host of actions that fall short of God's perfection. But the Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short of God's of the glory of God. The problem comes when those caught up in the sin of the LGBTQ have said that you and I are racist if we don't agree with their sin and support their lifestyle. And I thought about this. You know, it's like having a group called the Drunk Alcoholics. Think about it. And if you say, well, well, if you don't agree that it's okay to be drunk alcoholics, and if you say, you know, and, and, and if you don't say it's okay to give your children alcohol when they're very young so they can grow up to be drunk alcoholics, then you're racist. I mean, that's what it, I mean, because sin is sin. And it's the word of God that tells us what sin is. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. What God's word calls sin is sin. And there may be those caught up in this sin. And I want you to know that Jesus paid the price for that sin. And if you reach out to him and trust him, he alone can forgive you and give you the strength to turn away from that sin. But we as believers must stand our ground based upon the word of God. And I might add, continue to be vocal about it. I would encourage parents in the coming year to be even more vocal at school board meetings and city council meetings where those that are seeking to make legal and acceptable what God's word calls sin. But I mean, have this, do it in a way that honors Christ and is obedient to his word. I am in no way advocating violence, only the importance of taking a stand upon the word of God. To say, this is what God's word says, and I will not compromise from it. And to, as Nehemiah says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Listen, your marriage is, is important to God. Fight for it. Raising godly kids in an ungodly world is a battle. Fight for it. It's worth every moment. Make it a priority for 2023 that you will battle in prayer every single day for your family. Think of the man named Job. He was described as blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. He would do, according to, to Job 1.5, rise early every morning and go make a sacrifice for each one of his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Do we sacrifice the time every morning to battle in prayer for each one of our kids? Even if they're grown? Even if they're married, do we still pray for them? Pray for their spouses? Pray for our relationships with people? There's a spiritual battle taking place. Now the sad thing is, more often than not, we don't fight. And families are suffering because of it. We are urged, sometimes like the young man that wrote this to his girlfriend, Sweetheart, if the world was as hot as the Sahara Desert, I would crawl on my knees through the burning sand to come to you. 
If the world was, was as, like the Atlantic Ocean, I would swim through shark-infested waters to come to you. I would fight the fiercest dragon to be by your side. I will see you on Thursday if it doesn't rain. We should never be that fickle. There is a war raging against the Christian faith, and there's a lot still left to be done before Jesus returns. We cannot give up now just because the enemy is numerous, well-armed, angry, and threatening. Remember the words found in 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So we're called to fight. But again, understand our weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I like the New Living Translation of that verse. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. God has given us weapons to use. That's the Word of God. It's prayer. And He wants us to use it to fight the good fight, to knock down the strongholds of the enemy. I love the way Matthew Henry puts it. He puts it this way. We must watch always against spiritual enemies and not expect that our warfare will be over till our work is ended. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, which we ought to have always at hand, and never to have to seek for it, either in our labors or in our conflicts as Christians. Every true Christian is both a laborer and a soldier, working with one hand and fighting with the other. Good work is likely to go on with success when those who labor in it make a business of it. And Satan fears to assault the watchful Christian, or if attacked, the Lord fights for him. Thus must we wait to the close of life, never putting off our arm until our work and warfare are ended. Then we shall be welcome to the rest and joy of our Lord. Uh, that's what he said, quote. And, and, and that's why I think the Apostle Paul could say at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, finding there is later for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also who have loved his appearing. So, number one, remember the Lord. Number two, get back to work. Number three, be ready to fight and pray. Use the weapons God has given to us. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, prayer. This leads to number four, and the fourth way to keep moving forward in 2023, stick together. Stick together. Growing up, my family had six kids, and and it seems like the youngest, uh, Patrick, was always being uh, left behind. I remember one time, we all got home, and my mom says, Where's Patrick? We left him at the 7-Eleven about three miles away. You had to go back and get him. What's the first thing you say to to your kids when you go maybe down to Silver Dollar City? Stick together. You know, have a partner. Stick together. And and, uh, I think if we want to continue to move forward and continue to be blessed by God, that's what we need to do. We need to stick together. Look at verse 18 to 20. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Maybe you heard the story of a minivan loaded with people that pulled into the last remaining campsite. Four kids, ages 8 through 14 years old, leaped out from the, the van, feverishly began unloading all the gear, setting up the tent. The boys rushed off to get the, the firewood while the girls, along with their mom, began to set up the camp, the stove, the cooking utensils. A nearby camper watched and marveled uh, to the children's father, Sir, that's the greatest display of teamwork I have ever seen. 
How do you run such a disciplined family? The father said, well, it really works on only one basic principle. Nobody gets to go to the bathroom until the camp is set up. (laughs) Teamwork is essential to get the job done. There is strength in numbers. Nehemiah set up the place to rally together. The place Nehemiah chose was the place where the trumpet sounded. The purpose of blowing the trumpet was to, to sound the alarm. In other words, when the going gets tough, we need to gather together, we need to sound the trumpet. Nehemiah says, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. How can we apply this to us personally this morning? By never shutting the church down again because some government official tells you that a church is a non-essential. Period. That's in direct opposition to the Word of God. God's Word says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the man of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Maybe you saw this meme. It's of a lion chasing a lone zebra while the rest of the pack is safe. It says, if I'm a Christian but I don't need the church, it was a photo. If we want to keep moving forward in 2023, we need each other. You can't go it alone. We need friends. We need brothers and sisters who we can love and return love to and who we can pray for uh, one and be prayed for ourselves. Don't fight it alone. None of us should say, I don't need anybody else. That's a warped idea of Christianity. Rather, the proper response of a healthy child of God is, I can't possibly do this alone. But if you, God, by your Holy Spirit, would give me a brother or sister in the family who can encourage me and who I can encourage, we will rally around this together until I get through this test or through this trial. Like there are many examples in Scripture that that this principle applies to. When Jezebel was heading down Elijah, he ran under the tree in, in the wilderness and said, Lord, take my life. It's not worth it. I'm all alone. So what does God do? Well, he provides for him food, sustained him by that same food for 40 days and 40 nights, And the next thing you know, God says to Elijah, get up, you're not alone, Elijah. And God gave him a friend, a man named Elisha. And the last verse of 1 Kings 19 says, Elisha ministered to Elijah. Now what's great about this story is that this happened and marked the time when Elijah really began to make tracks. He found a rallying point. God gave him a a buddy who he can be accountable to, which is extremely important, as well as a friend where he can bear his soul to, his hurts, and relieve that loneliness. When Saul was bent on destroying David, God gave David a friend in Jonathan. Did David still suffer? Absolutely. But David didn't have to go alone. Do you have someone like that? If not, ask God to help you find a friend or make a friend. Look for a long, look for, long for, and pray for such a friend. I like what Pastor Chuck Swindoll has said about friendship. He says this, Don't give up until you can link your soul with another who has a kindred spirit who cares for your soul and for your needs. When you hear the battle cry, come to where the trumpet is. Oh, we need to stick together to help one another, to pray for one another, to keep and encourage one another. And when that trumpet sounds for a need in the church, rally together to fill that need. A trumpet sounds for a need in our church family, rally together to fill that need. Nehemiah encouraged the people to serve one another. That means being unselfish and serving one another. It means uh, uniting with other believers for strength, accountability. Look now at the result of sticking together in verse 21 and 22. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and work party 
and working party by day. So here it is practically in the church. We need each other. We need each other if we're going to move forward. And everybody, everybody has a role to play. We read here that, that half of the men held spears. So half the church is on our intercessory prayer team. That's where the battle really begins, the prayer team. And you know, because again, Second Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So the weapon of prayer. The other half, they're praying as well, but they're also busy teaching or participating in the men's and women's study, building up the body of Christ. Some of you are taking care of the physical needs of the church, cleaning it or, or making sure we're safe with our security team. You're part of the, the greeting team or the ushers that come in helping them find the seats because you know, Psalm 8410 says, for day in the courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tent of wickedness. Still there are others preparing to teach the next generation to love, serve, and honor God in our children's ministry. Some of you are giving uh, of your financial resources above and beyond the tithe, the 10%, to help supply the financial needs to further the kingdom of God. Nehemiah says that each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem. How about going downtown at night in Springfield, getting involved in the GO team, seeking to win people for Christ? The point is, we all need each other. We're all a part of the body of Christ. We all have a work to do. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For as the body is one and as many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And then he goes on to say in chapter 12, verse 20 through 22, because the first one is first, 12, verse 12, second one 20, 22. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. We're all necessary. And listen, if you haven't seen someone in a week or two, maybe it's been a month ago, I wonder what's going on with them. Well, reach out to them. See what's going on with them. Call them up. Invite them to go get coffee. We certainly have enough coffee places in Springfield. You can pick one near your house. Form those lasting relationships. It's essential if we're going to keep moving forward. And we need to be around those people that are going to build you up, not tear you down. Those are going to encourage you. Those are those that are going to give you good, sound, biblical advice. Those that will pray for you when you need it and give us a good swift and a kick in the pants when we need that as well. See, God's Word says an awful lot about how we are to treat one another. The most important thing says in this Word, we're to love one another. We know that. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. John 13, 34. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectionate to one another and with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. So we're to love one another. We're to serve one another. Galatians 5.13 For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We're called to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. On and on and on, Scriptures give us the blueprint for how to react one with another. We're to comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Therefore comfort one another with these words. So we need to stick together. We need to reinforce one another, pray for one another. Finally, the most important step in moving forward in 2023, number five, we need to rely on God. We need to rely on God. Look back at verse 20. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Did you catch that? 
Our God will fight for us. Let's say that together out loud. Ready? Our God will fight for us. When David was about to decapitate Goliath, and Goliath was shouting all sorts of blasphemies towards our God, David stood up and said this in 1 Samuel 17, 45-47. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And then he goes on, verse 47. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Do you get that? David comes out fighting, but he says, listen, battle's not mine. It's the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24, 8. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Second Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Nehemiah gave the battle cry. Get back to work. Our God will fight for us. Did they? Did they heed Nehemiah's words? Did they keep moving forward? Did the wall get completed? Listen to chapter 6 of Nehemiah, verse 15 in the New Living Translation. It says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. They did it. They completed the task. How? How did they do it? They remembered the Lord. They got back to work. They were ready for a fight. They stuck together and they relied on God. Finally, I want to look at one final verse and then we'll enter into the time of communion. Verse 23 says, so neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. <laughs> so committed to the task before them were Nehemiah and the company that they worked at that wall day in and day out, guarded it day in and day out. To, to do this, they remained clothed day in and, and, and night, with the exception of the times they took their clothes off to wash them. I mean, that is commitment. I mean, they were doing the work till someone said, man, you're just reeking. <laughs> need to go wash those. All right, all right, I'll go wash them, then I'll be right back. Listen, we are all going to face, face battles every single day. And when we come in on Sunday, some of us may have some of the stink on the world upon us. Maybe you messed up. Maybe, maybe you fell. What better place to come into church on Sunday where you can feel safe and loved and protected and able to find that forgiveness and cleansing of all our sins. I think of the night before Jesus went to the cross. In John 13, 8, Jesus stooped down and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And when he came to Peter, Peter once again, good old Peter, says, uh, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So then Simon Peter says, oh, well, Lord, not my feet only, but my hand, my, my head, just wash all of me. <laughs> Jesus said to him, uh, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. In other words, Pete, you don't need a bath. You're already clean. It's just your feet that needs washing. See, this speaks to me how we need to daily come before the Lord and confess our sin, our dirtiness, if you will. Understanding that the blood of Jesus Christ and the work Jesus did upon the cross took care of all my sin forever. When you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, every sin, past, present, and future, was forgiven. But we do sin during our week you know, we're walking in this world and it's easy to get dirty. We need to be washed off. We're forgiven, but we still need to confess. John tells us in First John 1, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confessing my sin, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 times a day. Hopefully you're not sitting that many times, but 
It'll appreciate what Jesus did for you all the more. And you'll realize the grace that God has shown you. As well as confessing our sin takes care of the consequences of unconfessed sin, right? Unconfessed sin in any of our life is a stronghold that the enemy wants to put on us to manipulate you over and over again in that area until that particular sin becomes an addiction, a habit, a part of your life that he can use on you against your will. How did you get there, you may ask? What happened? How did I get so entangled? How did I get caught up in this attitude of this sin? By not confessing your sin when it happened. Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, I have no part with you. In other words, you don't need to be baptized again. You don't need to be saved again. You know, you don't need a bath. You just need your feet washed. And so do we. We're not going to do a feet washing ceremony this morning. I'm not going to do that. But I can think of no better way of entering into 2023 than to close it with communion. Remember what Jesus did for us upon the cross. Because it's a time where we can confess our sin. We can confess our dirty feet from 2022 and get all cleaned up. We have a fresh start. We can keep moving forward in 2023. So as we enter communion, it's a time we can examine our hearts. It's a time to come clean before God. As a psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in your way everlasting. Holy Spirit, shine your light. Shine your conviction on my life. If there's anything in my life that I need to confess, that I need to turn from, show me so I can do that right now. And let me tell you, communion also is a part uh, uh, that is set apart for believers, for those that know Christ. And there might be some of you this morning that have joined us that you've never really asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. If that's the case, to receive communion uh, and not be a Christian, it's the ultimate act of mockery to God. Because of what Jesus did for us, you're celebrating what he did, but if you haven't uh, received him yourself, you're mocking God. The Bible warns that. God should not be mocked. So make sure this morning that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to him. Give your life to him this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We can enter into this time of communion, remembering what uh, work you did for us upon the cross. Lord, we thank you that we can start our new year, Lord, with a clean slate. And I do pray if there's anyone here that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning. Lord, help them to come into the new year with a clean slate. Lord, you said if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things become new. So I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to come to know you as their Savior, they're still dead in their trespasses and sin. Lord, if they would just confess it to you, you would make them clean. You would take away their sin because you took their sin upon yourself on that cross. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? You want to be born again? You want to have a fresh start? You want to know Christ? If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? I want to give your life to Christ. It's just between you and the Lord. Say, God, I want to live for you from this day forward. Forgive me of my sin. I recognize I'm a sinner. I've blown it. But I also recognize you went to the cross to die for that sin. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? So God, we thank you for this time. We can look to you, Lord. Look to the cross. We can find forgiveness, help, hope. Bless this time of communion, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.